So Mina, you know, when you come home from college with a friend and you try to introduce them to your homies back home, but it never quite works out the way you want. That's how I felt when I read this post on Twitter earlier. Dateline Columbus, UPI. Nick Saban, an assistant at West Virginia, has been picked by the Ohio State University head coach Earl Bruce to become the defensive secondary coach on the Buckeye squad. Saban will replace Pete Carroll, who left OSU after the Rose Bowl to become defensive coordinator at North Carolina State. The world comes at you fast. That is quite a piece of trivia. It is something that I did not know. Uh, Although I assume that all of these guys have run into each other across paths at some point, but I didn't know it was uh, to that extent. Now, 44 years later, older than I am, both Nick Saban and Pete Carroll are off the sidelines on the same day, and we're still waiting to learn the fate of one Bill Belichick, the football coach of the past quarter century. How would you describe the shifts we're seeing in the gridiron world this past week? Tectonic is the word that comes to mind. Uh, Clinton, it reminds me a little bit of how, you know, in recent years, we've seen a lot of legendary quarterbacks retire. First Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady. But these legendary coaches have the ability to, of course, coach into their 70s, which is how old these guys are. Uh, But for all of them to leave, not just in the same cycle, but, you know, within... The same day, we'll see what happens with Bill Belichick. Well, it is remarkable. It feels like the end of an era in both the NFL and college football. Speaking of the beginning of eras, you're a mom now, so congrats, Mina. But the only other question I have to ask you is, when do you interview for that Seahawks gig? (laughs) Uh, I I think I'm a little busy right now because of what you just said, but I'll consider it. I figure that if you have a 12 tattoo, you probably move to the front of the line. After 18 weeks of NFL action, the playoffs are upon us. It's Super Wildcard Weekend, bringing us six games over three days and a host of storylines worthy of an award-winning Hulu feature. Matthew Stafford is playing in a playoff game in Detroit, but not for the Lions. There's a battle for the NFL Coach of the Year Award in Houston featuring two QBs and teams that nobody saw reaching the playoffs back in August. And the once high-soaring Eagles are fighting for their lives against Baker Mayfield. So we turn to Mina Kimes to help us understand what we're about to see in a weekend so wild, it can only be called Super. I'm Clinton Yates, kiddos. It's Thursday, January 11th. This is ESPN Daily. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live.
All right, Mino, we could dive into each of these games one by one, but there are just so many storylines coming at us this weekend. I thought it'd be a little bit more fun to do it that way. So up first, we got a couple you can't go home again games. Number one, Tyreek Hill and the Dolphins heading to what is expected to be an absolutely frigid Arrowhead Stadium. And Mike McCarthy, number two, and the Cowboys are hosting the Packers, who McCarthy coached to a Super Bowl championship back in 2010. Thirdly, but the one I really want to focus on here is Matthew Stafford returning to Detroit, which, by the by, is the first home playoff game for the Lions since 1993. What were y'all doing in the nine tray? The NFL scriptwriters definitely didn't go on strike with this one. How do you feel about these prodigal son matchups? You know, it's interesting, Clinton, because um, it first of all, it certainly adds an, a unique narrative element to these uh, matchups because um, all of their former significant others, they know them well, right? The Chiefs obviously have gotten to see amazing things out of Tyree Kill, contributed to a Super Bowl win. Now they have to figure out how to stop him. The Green Bay Packers, Mike McCarthy, another Super Bowl champion, as you said, with uh, with them. And I think that they're aware of his strengths and weaknesses. And then of course the same, same with Stafford who left and then won the Super Bowl elsewhere. And maybe that's what makes that one so interesting. The fact that he left and had success elsewhere adds a little bit of a, a bitter element to it. But I have to think most of these fans, um, they're not, well, maybe there will be some who boo them of course, but, but most of them are pretty appreciative of the successes that they had with these notable figures. Of course, that doesn't mean that they'll be on their side this coming week. Yeah. I don't expect any remember you sort of highlight reels to be <laughs> playing before any of these playoff games, but such is life. The evil cousin, of course, of the, you can't go home again game is the revenge game. And as you mentioned, Rams lions is the biggest one. It's the one I'm most excited about this weekend. Mm. Jared Goff, part of the trade that brought Stafford to LA probably viewed as a stopgap of some sorts until the Lions figured out a long-term answer at QB, but here he is. He's got a chance to knock his former team out of the playoffs. Is there an opportunity as juicy as the Lions to enact revenge via golf on Sunday? No, this is a legitimate revenge game. Like I love joking about revenge games. Just if I notice a player, maybe, you know, but played for uh, even less than a year somewhere else, it's funny, but th this is not funny. This is real. Uh, you talked about the trade Jared Goff at the time was viewed in as like a toss in, you know, he wasn't seen as the quarterback of the future with Detroit. It was get his contract off the books. Okay. You're going to eat that as part of this deal. Um, and you might remember Clint, you know, before he was traded, it was very obvious that Sean McVay, the head coach of the Rams wanted to move on from him. And then of course he did bring in Stafford because um, he craved his skill set as a quarterback. So then Goff leaves and after a difficult start, has been tremendously successful with Detroit. It's, it's been a renaissance for him, and there's a number of reasons for that, one of which is the situation around him, the play caller. But the point is, um, you know, you talked at the beginning about bringing your college friends home. For Goff, this is kind of like coming home after a glow-up and seeing your high school friends at the reunion. Like, he, he is playing great football right now, and there is an opportunity here against the Rams defense that notably was not as good as the one that he played with to kind of show how far he's come. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions offense does have success. One of the things that was interesting is that there was a stat floating around that between all of the sort of, I don't want to say major statistics of a quarterback, but Stafford and golf are about at the same place since 2021 in terms of numbers of what they've done. Did that surprise you personally? 
Yeah, you know, that that is a little bit surprising, especially when you think about sort of Goff's struggles at first. But the last two years, this Lions offense has been an absolute wagon. Uh, and I, I think that the a big part of the reason why Goff has had the success he's had is, is something we saw back when he was with the Rams, which is, um, you know, he's a quarterback where if he's well protected and he's accompanied by a good run game, we saw him go to a Super Bowl in Los Angeles. He struggles when he's under pressure. And in Detroit, he now gets to play behind an offensive line that, you know, has been as good, about as good as those Super Bowl offensive line was. So it makes sense that he has played well because of the kind of quarterback he's in and the situation he's been in with Detroit. Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Lions, has made a lot of hay this season. He's running trick, not quite trick plays to offensive linemen. He's viewed as a mind at this point. How much of this do you feel is a bit of an audition for some of these jobs that are open in the NFL now and happening at a rapid pace? Oh, I don't think he needs to audition. I think Ben Johnson is already... Uh, the top candidate in the eyes of many teams. Now, I will say, because of what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, this coaching craziness, maybe not Pete Carroll um, and Nick Saban, who's retiring, but there are some really uh, tantalizing options out there. Jim Harbaugh, potentially Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel. So Johnson has some competition. But I think of all the offensive coordinators who teams are looking at and teams love hiring offensive coordinators lately because if you have a good one, they tend to leave. So it's nice to have one as a head coach. Johnson and what he's done in Detroit, the way they've turned around Goff's career, the creativity he's shown with different formations and personnel groupings, the way he's maximized the skill play, the talents of the skill players they have. Uh, it all adds up to a profile of a future head coach that I know a lot of owners are excited about. UNC football turning out coaches left and right in the league these days. Who knew? <laughs> Moving to Dolphins, Chiefs. There's questions on offense for both teams. Talent at receiver, obviously, in the case of Kansas City. Health and kind of a slump in the case of Miami. And a beat-up Finns defense who literally just brought in Justin Houston off the street to shore up their pass rush. Mm. It's going to be at or below zero degrees in KC Mo, my mama's hometown. What are we looking at matchup-wise here, Mina? Well, first, the thermometer. You, you talked about it being zero degrees. Our stats and info people um, put out a, a note that kind of shocked me, which is that the Dolphins have now lost 10 straight games in sub 40, I, I like not even like close to zero sub 40, which is, you know, I mean, we live in California, not even freezing. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's not even that cold, but yeah. So that, that I think is a factor, but a bigger factor is what you talked about, which is the health. Uh, this Dolphins team is really up against it from an injury standpoint, particularly on defense. Um, you lose not just your number one pass rusher, well, I would say you're, you could debate who's number one, but you lose your top two pass rushers in Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips. And then Andrew Van Ginkle, who's your number three pass rusher to the point where you're, you're bringing in Houston. I think for their defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio, um, it's going to be a very difficult uh, task. And I think an interesting challenge schematically to decide how best to approach Patrick Mahomes as much as this Chiefs offense has struggled at times. I mean, you're obviously a football expert, but to the average person that tunes in 
for the playoffs. The Chiefs kind of moving in a different direction than the Dolphins per se in terms of where those franchises are headed. A lot of people believe that the Chiefs offense struggling this year isn't quite the same. Do you think they are also as vulnerable as ever? I think they are vulnerable, um, certainly more than in, in past years. And when you look at a team like the Ravens, I think they're a cut above Kansas City. Um, you know, the Chiefs' offensive struggles are interesting because from a personnel standpoint, they weren't actually that much better last year. They just executed better. And because of the way they're built, which is to kind of put together these long, excruciating drives, run the ball, check it down. If you make one mistake, whether that's giving up a sack or a penalty or a drop, they you know lead the league in drops, that's usually a drive killer. And I think that's what's going on right now. I think they can be better in the postseason than they've been, but there are still limitations on this offense because they're not explosive uh, and they won't look like they did back when they had Tyree Kill, who they're, of course, seeing this weekend. Coming up, more Super Wild Card Weekend Preview with Mina Kimes. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is, not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Mina, I want to look at this Browns-Texans game that leads off the weekend from Houston. There are a ton of plot points to get to on this one. We've got A, a de facto coach of the year bowl between Kevin Stefanski and D'Amico Ryan, which is also a clash of an offensive guru versus a defensive whiz, Stefanski and Ryan. And the, wait a second, these quarterbacks got us here, Bowl, between C.J. Stroud and Joe Flacco, of all people. What's standing out to you about this matchup? Uh, you got you to start with Joe Flacco. I mean, C.J. Stroud is 
I voted for him for Offensive Player of the Year. What he's doing as a rookie is amazing. But Flacco is perhaps more surprising just because not only did it kind of come out of nowhere, but the last time we saw Flacco when he was a backup quarterback, you know, he didn't play like this. He didn't look nearly as good. And I think what they've been able to do, what Stavansky's been able to do with this offense, it's it's remarkable not just because of Flacco's 38 years old, coming off the bench, the street rather, and all that, but the fact that he's doing it behind a very injured offensive line. Um, their play-action passing attack has been dynamite. He's been great throwing on the run. Amari Cooper and David Njoku are balling right now, and that's a real challenge for a Texans defense that it has vastly improved but is still... Um, you know, has its ups and downs, struggles against play action, struggles against the deep pass. So it feels like on that side of the football, one of those games where Flacco could carve them up or he could throw three interceptions, which is a thing he is doing as well. The variance for that one, it it makes it very hard to predict. We talked to Jake Trotter, by the way, and what got him back into shape was, of course, playing baseball with his dad on a peewee field with his brother doing long tosses with heavy balls. So apparently that's a very important thing though. I do want to ask, you mentioned that you voted for CJ as offensive player of the year. You want to clue us into your coach of the year vote? This I feel like is more divisive. I went back and forth between the two coaches in this game. Many times I ended up going with D'Amico Ryan's ah. for me. Uh, it was just the complete turnaround, both uh, not just the results, but also the culture in Houston, which is pretty, you know, been a pretty dismal franchise the last couple of years and and has really, I think, emerged from a shadow. Um, But boy, you could make a strong case for Stavansky and I wouldn't object. Sticking with coaches, looking at the Steelers-Bills game on Sunday afternoon, the connective tissue seems to be, might have been time for a change at offensive coordinator, kiddos. Both teams had their seasons turned around after dismissing their OCs. What do you think was the change for them specifically? Well, I think it's different. Pittsburgh, yes, they're much maligned former offensive coordinator Matt Canada. You saw the offense play better after he left. And I do think coaching played a role in that. You've also just really seen that run game take off. I think Mason Rudolph has been capable, young players playing better. But I, yeah, I do think the coaching change helped there. For the Bills, I actually think the bigger change has been the play of the defense and just turning the ball over. Um, you know, the, the offense was actually performing at a pretty high level before the change. It's continued to perform at a, at a decent level and it's different now. They run the ball more. They throw to the running back and, and it's the, they use more motion, things like that. But when you dig into the numbers, um, it, it's really on the other side of the ball that they've been, winning games or has been why they've been winning games. And I think that is a real testament to not the coordinators, but the head coach, Sean McDermott, who took over the defense this year. You said the bills run the ball more. You can't help to think about Josh Allen, who as a big body used to truck through defensive backs on the ground, but also throws a decent amount of picks. You can set your watch to it. Yep. What do you think this means for Josh as a quarterback leading this team that has had high expectations the past three seasons in the league? Yeah, it, there's a lot of pressure on him. I think there was a belief heading into the season that the Bills had kind of a championship window that was closing because of their aging roster. I actually think, though, the play of some of the younger players on both sides of the football has um, changed that narrative a little bit. But Allen, and he knows this, he's talked about it. He's 
capable of playing at such a high level, but he's also capable of losing games for them with for the Bills with his turnovers. And when you look at a game like this one where the Bills can win, they probably should win. It does feel like the only way they don't win, Clinton, is if he throws over he he throws multiple interceptions. Going from a QB who seems to be unable to stop playing hero ball to one who looks like he actually could be a hero for a serious football town, Jordan Love. He had a nice debut season under center and alongside Matt LaFleur and the baby cheese heads at receiver. Is there a chance that this is the Jordan Love coming out party so many years later? I think so. I mean, this Cowboys defense is challenging and I think um, there's a lot of ways that Micah Parsons can make a massive impact in the, in this game that would, <laughs> um, well, make this Jordan Love coming out party more funereal. But I also think Love right now is playing the position as good as just about anyone, particularly the last couple of weeks. But really over the course of the season, you've seen him improve in accuracy, decision-making. This offense is creative. They use a multitude of players, which is maybe as astounding as Love's improvement is the play of all these young skilled players in Green Bay. There's so many ways that they can attack. They can run the ball. Uh, Dallas has been vulnerable at times to runs, particularly to the outside. Uh, so you'd see a heavy dose of Aaron Jones. Uh, I, I think that the offense has a good chance in this one. Defense, a little bit less optimistic about the Packers defense, but the offense, I think, can keep their momentum. There's still a lot of pressure on the guys with the star on their helmets, though. Mike McCarthy's future may or may not be secure, according to rumors. A lot of people are still doubting Dak Prescott, even though he threw less than 10 picks this season when he said he was going to. And Jerry, of course, obviously has everybody constantly under pressure. Is all of this going to add up to enough for the Cowboys to advance here? Or do you think there's going to be a necessity to kind of pound the Packers for people to believe that they can make a Super Bowl run? Uh, it depends on which people you're talking about. If we're talking about Stephen A. Smith on first take, uh, then I think they need to win by a lot to quiet the doubters. Um, but I, I, my view is that this Green Bay team is legit and a win, any sort of win, I think um, would be a quality win, especially because of the way their offense is playing. Unfortunately for Dallas, you know, the, the boogeyman that is San Francisco awaits. So, you know, they could win this game. They could win against whoever they play in the if, the second round if it comes to that. But um, ultimately, none of it matters if they can't get over the hump that has been San Francisco and it, and it is who has, of course, ended their season now uh, multiple times. And, and that is a very, very challenging matchup for them as good as they are on offense and defense. I'll let our producer Alex tell us the last time that the Niners won a Super Bowl because it's not that far off from the Cowboys. But... Staying in the NFC East and speaking of doubters, we've got the Eagles who have tumbled gloriously from atop that division from the beginning of the year. And now they got to go to Tampa Bay for a wild card game. If Philly can't pull this out, how bad is that for an Eagles team that was in the Super Bowl just a year ago? It would be bad because Clinton, if you had told me eight weeks ago that the Philly well, I, you know, you think they would win the division at that point, but setting that aside, that they'd be playing Tampa, I think as an Eagles fan, you'd be thrilled. And look, Tampa has been a, a good story. I think Baker Mayfield has played way better than anyone's expectations. They still have really good players, but undeniably, that's 
a matchup. You know, they, they won a terrible division, and you would have thought Philly would have been able to dominate that matchup. However, this Eagles team, the way they've been playing, the struggles and coverage, the inability to rush the passer, the um, flailing offense against the Blitz, all of it, I, it, it's hard for me to look at this game and as talented as Philadelphia is, have any confidence in their ability to make improvements because they've had weeks to improve on both sides of the ball and through issues with execution, coaching, limitations of personnel that have been exposed, they simply have not. You mentioned Baker, Reagan, Mayfield, and the Bucks. They took care of business in the NFC South. Kind of a dawdling situation in terms of no teams are really that good. Everybody's making jokes about them every week. But is Mayfield the guy to get them where they need to be? And what do you think this makes for his future with that franchise? And in many ways, the league. I think that Mayfield has had games this year where he looks like he could beat anyone. I think of um, the Packers, who I was just you know talking about being a fun and feisty playoff team. He carved them up. He had a perfect passer rating against Green Bay. Now that defense is not very good, but my point is there, there have been very uh, various points this season where Mayfield has really looked like that number one overall pick, accurate, decisive, um, throwing the ball downfield to Mike Evans is a good connection there at times. But then there have been games where he looks like the guy who was run out of Cleveland. And I think it's that inconsistency that makes him hard to project in the playoffs. I will say, though, as far as his future goes, I think he's done enough to stick around in Tampa. I mean, I, I don't think that they're probably going to sign him to a massive contract, but it's a great turnaround story for a guy who many people had written off. I want to take a second to talk about prescience because late, in the summer, Jordan Rodriguez, who we love, lives out here in LA for the athletics. She hosted a podcast series called The Play Callers that somebody we're talking to right now appeared on, I believe, which took us through the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree with apologies to Robert Sala and the Jets. Every single one of those guys has led a team to the postseason. Just how much has that crew shaped the NFL now and potentially down the road? That's the story of the modern NFL, Clinton, is these offenses. What's cool, though, from a football nerd perspective is they're all really different, right? Like when you watch the way that the tree has kind of evolved, the 49ers offense and the Dolphins offense, for example, they share DNA, but they're completely different because of the players. And I think that's what's really interesting is that shared DNA, but how it manifests itself differently based on the different quarterbacks and the players that these coaches have um, is what makes football so cool. And I think the ability of these coaches to evolve those offenses is what's made them successful. 136, 89, and one. 10 playoff games won, five college bowl games won. He's the only guy to ever do that latter part, Pete Carroll. I said on Around the Horn that this week, that if he's won two Super Bowls, he walks out on his own terms, but he's only won one. So they're kind of telling grandpa that he can't cut the turkey anymore. Do you think that this is in any way, not exactly unbecoming, but just not the way you wanted it to end as a Seahawks fan? You know, it's really tough, Clinton, because I think Pete Carroll is one of the greatest coaches in the history of not just the Seahawks, but the sport. The fact that he did what he did, not uh, just with Wilson, but you know, different quarterbacks over so many years, it's so hard to do in the modern NFL. 
People talk about him a lot as a player's coach, but I think he really deserves a lot of credit for the way he coached defense, the way he developed those players, the the scheme and its evolution over the years is remarkable. However, um, it's a defense that has really struggled over the last few years, finishing below average in most metrics for like six years now, really struggled this season, and I think it kind of came to a head uh, in the, the second to last week of the season when Seattle had the opportunity to seal the deal and punch their ticket for the playoffs, winning or, or get closer to that against the Mason Rudolph-led Steelers, and they couldn't do it. And I think that's probably ultimately what led to his ouster. And I think because of that, it does make sense. It's really hard for anyone in football to go out the way they want. We've seen legends pushed aside, not just owners, but or pardon me, uh, coaches, but players. Uh, and... I think uh, as great as it would have been for Carroll to go out on his own terms, um, I do understand why he's no longer the head coach. Last time I saw Mina, it was in Seattle, but we were standing on a baseball field. Thank you, Mina. Thanks, Glenn. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos.